Well, thanks for coming this morning to Palm Vista Community Church. We continue our series in the book of Mark entitled Incredible. And it's about our incredible Lord Jesus Christ. And our message this morning is entitled The Faithful One. The Faithful One. And it's found in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 52. Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 52. And as you're turning there, let me share with you a pastoral word that I felt on my heart as I was preparing this message. And here's the word. It's about loneliness. Loneliness. Many times we can feel alone even in a crowd. And that loneliness can, can grip our hearts. It can be debilitating. Actually, uh, medical studies have shown that loneliness can break you down physically. Uh, it can even affect your immune system. It, it weakens you. It can discourage you. Researchers at the University of Chicago studied loneliness. And you know what they found out? That loneliness is actually a contagious disease. When when loneliness begins to to spread, and it does spread in an organization or group, it it, it can be really devastating to that group. Quoting from this study by these researchers, quote, loneliness causes people to act towards others in a less generous and more negative fashion. As someone becomes lonely, he is more likely to interact with his friends negatively. And they are then more likely to interact with other friends negatively. And if these interactions are repeated, the ties of friendships fray. And people become lonelier and more isolated. The Bible tells us we have an enemy because we belong to God. It's God's enemy. And the Bible, there's a a scripture that says that the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the tools he wields to steal, kill, and destroy, and to really break up a church and people, is loneliness. It's one of the weapons he, he wields. But here's what the Bible says as well. That Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the evil one. And the place that Jesus did that is on the cross. It's on the cross that he made a display openly of Satan. He defeated the enemy at the cross. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Here's the tie-in with our word today. He's on the way to the cross in today's message. But here's something you've got to hear. He's going to go to the cross very much alone so that you and I would never walk alone. Hear that, church. He is going to go to the cross alone. We're going to see this in a moment, so that you and I would never walk alone. But there's a fight here. There's there's an attack here. And, And I pray that as you hear the message, I pray as you see Jesus lifted up before your eyes, you would see him as your victor. And if you're wrestling with loneliness, listen, another word, disconnectedness. Can anybody relate to that? Your grandfather is not here. There's a disconnectedness. There's a legitimate fight. There may be friends not here. Something in your life happened and you feel disconnected. There's a loneliness. 
Here's the truth. Jesus walked alone so that you would never walk alone. I would never walk alone in him. And that's our hope. That's our hope. That's our hope. As you're turning to Mark chapter 14 right now, verse 26, we're going to look at that hope. And I need to remind you about a literary device that Mark uses often in his gospel. And he uses it again this morning in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 42. And we've called that literary device a sandwich. A Markin sandwich. Where he takes two stories on either side... Those two stories are meant to contrast a middle story, and it's that middle story that has the main point. So this morning, we're going to take a nice bite of a Markin sandwich. And as we take that bite of a Markin sandwich, I pray that we would savor its gospel goodness. Friends, Jesus said this, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word this morning that we're preaching is from God's mouth. And this word is intended to give us life. So let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal his word to us and that he would bring our taste buds, our spiritual taste buds alive so that we could enjoy the goodness of this word. He would enable our spiritual body to receive the nutrients of this passage. When one is healthy, one receives nutrients from the food that one eats, particularly when one eats good food. Part of the thing that happens when you get sick is your body can't absorb the vitamins. But Jesus came to make us whole and well and then feed us that we would grow individually and corporately. So let's pray that that would happen as we hear his word together. Father, help me to preach your word faithfully. Lord, help my friends to hear your word faithfully. Lord, feed your body. And may we absorb these nutrients, this gospel goodness, and savor it. May may our taste buds long for the gospel and the word. It alone would satisfy us. It alone would nourish us. It alone would build strong bodies, healthy bodies. Lord, Lord, that together we would represent you as your body to a watching world. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. Hear the word of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They would be the disciples in Jesus after having taken the Last Supper or the First Supper. And Jesus, verse 27, said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible 
for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But... Let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing on but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Look at verse 26. Jesus is concluding the Last Supper with a hymn. Most likely, that hymn was from the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 115 to 118. And I can just imagine Jesus, with my sanctified imagination, singing some of these verses from Psalms 115 to 118 up on the screen. Hear our Lord's voice. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Perhaps they were doing it antiphonally. Maybe one was singing it and the other was responding with, He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, for He is their help and shield. And the hymn would go on that night, I love the Lord. Now think what Jesus is facing. Think what Jesus is about to confront as, as you hear Him singing this hymn. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And here's the last verse. Perhaps they sang that night. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. Oh, I think he was looking at his ascension right there. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our sight. And he ends with this. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And as the the echo of that last refrain is, is moving through the upper room, he says, let's go, men. And he leaves the upper room and he heads east across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. Here he is, the faithful one who will now go and give his life for the unfaithful many. Point one, the unfaithful many. Got to look at the unfaithful many. That's the, those are the two pieces of bread around the sandwich. Jesus is the faithful one in the middle. We'll get to that in a moment. But the unfaithful many are the two pieces of bread contrasting the faithful one. As Jesus arrived on the Mount of Olives, look with me in verse 27. He says something very shocking to his disciples. Look at it with me. Verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus predicts what is going to happen. And then he quotes Zechariah 13.7. And he says that when they strike me, the shepherd, you will all flee. He knew he was the shepherd. He knew this was according to God's will. And he spoke it to them. But then look at verse 28. He does encourage them. He says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus says this, it is God's will that I be stri- that he strike me, the shepherd. It is God's will that I die, but it is also God's will that I would be raised from the dead. And when I am raised from the dead, I'm going to go before you in Galilee. But Peter was still stuck on the betrayal part. Look at verse 29. He was none too happy. And so he says this, he's standing there with the 11. Remember, Judas was already busy betraying Jesus, getting his 30 pieces of silver with the uh, chief priests. So Peter stands up in front of the 11. He says, listen, listen, these guys may leave you. In fact, I've suspected a few of them for a while. (laughs) But look at verse 29. But I, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus I think compassionately, Jesus, now foretelling Peter what he's going to do, looks at him with, with sad eyes, and he says, Oh, Peter, before morning, you, tough guy Peter, are going to deny me. Now, we know later he's going to deny Jesus before a servant girl. But you, tough guy Peter, are going to deny me three times. But Peter, as we understood, doesn't listen very well. He's still thinking of his next response, right? Look what he says in verse 30. He rails in verse 30. He says emphatically in verse 30, excuse me, 31. But he, Peter, said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then imagine the other 10 are standing there going, and they're, I think, a little peeved at this point at Peter. And they're going, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. That's how it ends in verse 31. We're going to die with you, Jesus We will never betray you, Jesus. But, oh, Peter, oh, disciples, oh, Al, (laughs) you cannot die with Jesus. You cannot smuggle in any of your righteousness into his righteousness. Because there is only one who could die the death that Jesus died. Jesus had to die alone. They still didn't get it. 
Four times now Jesus has predicted this. Four times he has preached this to them, and they still don't get it. The only one that's gotten it kind of sort of thus far is this unnamed woman that broke the alabaster jar and anointed Jesus for burial. Everybody else is denying burial. It's only Jesus that can die the once and for all death for our sins, for Peter's sins, for the disciples' sins, for my sin, for your sin. Listen, there is a small application here before we move on, and this is it. We are often, we are those disciples. And often, I know I can be guilty of this, I self-righteously point to everybody else and say, Lord, no matter what everybody else does, I, I will never deny you. I will always be with you. I will never flee you. And my intentions are good. My heart is, is there. But in the final analysis, when I stand before the Lord in weakness, and I say, here I stand, I fall away. I fall away. Now, by the way, that word fall away, in the Greek, we translate it fall away. That doesn't mean that they actively rebel against Jesus. What Jesus was saying was not so much a sin of commission. I hate you, Lord. I'm not going to believe you. It's, it's a sin of omission. In the moment when sin comes in, bam, and I have every intention to stand, bam, it's like a 300-pound you know, lineman. I go, bam. I have every intention to stand, and they did too. I believe they were sincere, but their most noble convictions wilted in the face of of sin's onslaught. But you know what I love? Is Jesus knew that. And he tells them, when I rise again from the dead, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I love that. He says that before they deny him. He says that before they flee him. He says that before he's crucified, before he's resurrected. He says it in faith. See, see, Our sin can never derail God's salvation plan. He does not excuse it, but he understands it. It's the very reason that Jesus would go alone to die on the cross. That's why he did it. And based upon that death and that resurrection, he's then, what he's telling them here is he's saying, look, I'm going to reconstitute you guys back up in Galilee. He says, after I'm raised, verse 28, I'll meet you in Galilee. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I'm going to reconstitute you up there. You will deny me in Jerusalem. I will reconstitute you in Galilee because of my sacrifice on the cross that only I can do. And friends, that is what he's been doing ever since. Because not only did he reconstitute his people in Galilee after his resurrection and then commissioned them after his ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit, but today, the resurrected Jesus is reconstituting his people right here. That's you and me, friends. We're those disciples that fled. But we come by his grace and by his blood because he is the faithful one. Point two. The faithful one. But I want you to see how lonely that word one is. He's the faithful one. He's the only faithful one. And thus, he is all alone in his faithfulness. Verses 32 to 42 describe Jesus' aloneness. Look at him. Verse 32. He takes his 11 disciples 
and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, a place that he was very familiar with and his disciples were very familiar with. Gethsemane simply means olive press, right? Mount of olives. (laughs) He was in an olive grove, one that they knew pretty well. But he's there all alone. He leaves his disciple. First he leaves uh, the eight, takes three with him, Peter, James, and John, and then he leaves them. And then he is all alone by design. And he's in anguish. Look at verse 33b. These are very powerful words. Verse 33, and he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. Really, the range of meaning there is he was alarmed. He was alarmed. He was alarmed. He wasn't sinning, but he was alarmed. He was human. Look at verse 34. His soul, his soul was very sorrowful even to death. Jesus is burdened with the grief of death. So much so that look at verse 35. He collapses to the ground. Have you ever just collapsed to the ground when you're burdened? You're alarmed? You don't know what to do? And he just collapses to the ground. And, and he cries out to his father. And he says, look at verse 35 carefully. It's amazing here. He says, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour that he's speaking of there is the hour of his crucifixion. It's the hour that's about to come. It's the hour that we find out in verse 41. Look at verse 41 where he says the hour has come. So this is that crucial moment. Will will Jesus stand up and report in for the hour for which he was born? The hour that was ordained from the foundations of the world. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. This is the, the eternal plan of God. And this is the hour. This is the crucial time. I mean, this is game time. This is fourth quarter. This is the final drive. You just tie them all together. This is 3-2 bases loaded World Series. Seventh game. Ninth inning. Whatever you want to say. This is the moment. This is the hour. We're right before the hour. And, and our Lord is on the ground and he's sweating so profusely. Luke tells us it was like he was bleeding. I sweat a lot. But that's sweating a lot. Oh, friends. Friends, there, there, was, there has never been any grief known to man like the grief Jesus experienced in that garden ever. Abraham's grief at at having to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, nothing in comparison. David's grief at his his defeats. Israel's grief in being in bondage 400 years. Listen, I respect whatever grief you've gone through, and there's some pretty serious grief, I know, just in this building right here. Perhaps the death of a child. Perhaps someone sinned against you violently. That's grief. I'm not downgrading your grief, but no one has grieved. No human being has ever grieved in the annals of history like Jesus grieved that night. His grief was over what he was about to face on the cross. His grief was about facing God's hand that would strike him. Why do we know that? Because of what was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 on the screen. Surely he has borne our griefs. 
just talking about Jesus in this night, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. You know who's doing the striking? Is his father. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Listen, Jesus didn't despair of death. He was no coward. No, no. No, no. He was despairing of bearing every sin that his people had ever committed. He was, he was despairing of the Father turning away from his Son. By design, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had agreed on that. One God, one plan of salvation. Father sends the Son. Son executes the salvation. Spirit applies the salvation. But this was the moment of execution. About to hike the ball. Final play. Or do I call a timeout? Because I know what it's going to mean for me. That's why he's sweating blood. He will bear the full measure of the Father's wrath against sin. And Jesus alone faced this. And this is what he did. Verse 36, he prayed. He prayed. Look what he prayed. Verse 36. Remember what he sang at the end of that Last Supper, the Halal Psalms. Listen to what he prayed. And he said, Abba, Father. Abba is a term that was rarely used by by rabbis to address God. No one used that term. Hardly ever. It was a term of intimacy, of affection. It was a term of trust. And then he says, all things are possible for you. You see that in verse 36? All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. What is the cup? The cup is the plan of salvation. The cup is drinking the dregs of your sin, my sin, the worst sinner that's ever existed that's one of God's elect. And there have been some horrible sinners. There have been murderers and kidnappers and rapists and child abusers and drug addicts and drug dealers and and, and war criminals and, and, and arsonists. There have been some awful people that have been God's elect that have done awful things. Then forget about them. Just think about what your thoughts have been recently. Not pretty. And Jesus took every one of them on the cross. And he says, is there any other way that this salvation plan can move forward without me doing that? And here's what's going on. Jesus did not sin, but this is so helpful for me because I can obey God and still have, Lord, Lord, is is there another way? I think I see what this means. I think I see what's going to happen here. I think I see that if this unit's going to make their mission, if this team's going to win the game, if this organization's going to get to where you're going, I'm going to suffer. I'm not sure what's going to happen on the other end of it. See, Jesus' prayer acknowledged the human tension between God's will and what it meant to fully submit to it. And I'm so glad he did. Without sinning, he was tempted in every way as we are, dear church. See, Jesus is saying, Father, do I have to be 
Does it have to come to this, that you would strike me, that you would pierce me, that you would crush me, that you would chastise me, that you would break me for the sins of your people? Jesus was tempted to abandon his role as the suffering servant. He was tempted by everything he'd been hearing from the moment he was tempted in the the wilderness by Satan. Hey, don't do it God's way. I'll give you all the kings of the world. He was tempted by Peter when he said, oh, Jesus, you're not going to die. You're the king. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going here for you to become Messiah. He was tempted to say, well, maybe I can do it that way. Would Jesus fulfill his calling as the suffering servant? Would he obey the Father? It was a real temptation. Our eternal future was at stake. The very covenant of salvation hung in the balance. Thanks be to God that Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus said, not what I will, but what you will. It's what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Aren't you glad he's not a hypocrite? He had taught him to pray that way. Pray this way, my disciples, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In his worst suffering, in the moment of his greatest trial, when he was facing a grief unimaginable, all alone in the garden, Jesus obeyed God in the garden of Gethsemane thus reversing the curse of Adam's disobedience of God in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Look, you can think about heaven any way you want. There's going to be football in heaven. (laughs) I'm going to be able to dunk the ball. And there'll be crowds. I can tell you that for sure the crowds, because I've read it in Hebrews. And I'm telling you, right now, that night, there were... Heaven erupted. Heaven erupted, man. Yeah! No one had suffered like this man. Yeah! He's He's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. Oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, and he did it all alone by God's design. Look, the rest of this text just talks about how Jesus was betrayed and how Jesus was abandoned. The guys couldn't stay up. Listen, I can relate to that. No self-righteousness here, okay? I will not be talking to Peter about falling asleep in the garden when we get to heaven, right? Yes, you know, I fall asleep at nine o'clock at night. I've fallen asleep while praying for some of you. Yes, it's true. I was praying for somebody and I fell asleep. Try that one. So I'm not going to be messing with them about that, but it's symbolic. They could not. Why? They, could, they literally could not. That's why Jesus had to. But look at verse 50. After, after the scuffle and the little fracas that they had there with arresting Jesus and someone pulled out a sword and cut someone's ear off and who knows what it, who it was. doesn't matter, okay? Jesus now is in cuffs. And what happens? Look at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. And church, church, listen, we're in that group. We're in that group. That's the group that he's going to reconstitute back in Galilee after his resurrection, after his death, because he, they're his people. He's dying for their sins so that he can forgive them so that they can then be his people. A bunch of traitors and cowards like us. You know, it's funny. um, Verses 51 and 52. Some people say that Mark put this in here because this is Mark. I don't know. All right, a young man was wearing only a linen cloth. I mean, what does that mean? I don't know. But bottom line is, 
He flees naked. You know, I, I think he's unnamed because I think he represents every one of us. In the last analysis, we flee totally naked, metaphorically speaking. He's us. He's us. Now, here's one more observation from this text that I've got to hit before we finish. And I pray God would work this in our hearts. I want to go back to what we started with. I want to go back to the person who said to me after communion, Al, God is moving. I'm seeing tears in people's eyes. I want to go back to what I think the Holy Spirit is doing. And I want to go back to the opening illustration about loneliness. Jesus died alone. Jesus died alone in this text so that we might live together in him. I believe that is the main point. Jesus died alone that we might live together with him. Listen to me, church. Everybody drank the cup. Last week we talked about this in chapter 14, 23. And everybody with great bravado pledged to die with him. We just read it. And everybody left him and fled. Everybody. Jesus died alone that we might live together with him. The scriptures are clear. Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. Romans, Paul in Romans 9, 3, 9 through 11 says, there is none righteous, there's no not one, there's none that seeks God. All have turned away from the Lord. That's why he came to die for us. Here's the appeal. This passage precludes any boasting, church. It it, it precludes any self-righteous pointing at anybody else and said, well, at least I'm better than that guy or that lady. This passage brings us to the feet of Jesus Christ because we may be like Peter at the beginning of this passage saying, I'll die for you. But we're also like Peter at the end, fleeing the scene. I'm gone. Nice knowing you. But here's the point. Many of us have experienced loneliness. A toxic, soul-killing, church-dividing loneliness. A disconnectedness. And some of it isn't our fault. Some of it is what we've experienced. Some of it's the attack of the enemy. Some of it is our fault. We've just chosen not to assemble with one another. We've, We've chosen not to take advantage of the means of grace. doesn't matter. We're all guilty in one sense, right? That's why Jesus came. And he's connecting us. He's reconnecting us through the gospel, through his death, through his resurrection. He's connecting us here as we gather together. He's connecting us and then he's growing us as we gather together in small groups and community groups and youth and singles. He's connecting us and and he's he's causing us then to go. He's going to launch us and send us out to go and make disciples with the life that we experience in him. So here's my appeal to you. If you are feeling like you're alone, disconnected, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. When we stand to sing, I just invite you to come forward. Community group leaders, if you would join me up here, I just want, we just want to pray with you. I want to remind you that Jesus walked alone, that we might never walk alone, but rather walk together in him with one another, and that God would minister to you Dear friends, let's pray. Worship team, join me up front. Lord, I pray that you would work in your people right now. 
Lord, I pray that there would be a grace in our midst right now. I believe your spirit was moving amongst us powerfully at the beginning of this service. I believe that your spirit is moving powerfully amongst us right now. I believe that you are patient. You can move whenever you want. You are not constricted by time. We are. Lord, I pray that you would now minister to hearts that feel alone, that feel disconnected, that feel perhaps just um, abandoned. And Lord, I pray that they would see you who walked alone, that we would never walk alone in you. Lord, I pray that they would see the truth that you died alone, that we might live together. Lord, if there's any here this morning that have not professed you as Lord, may this be the morning. And for those of us that have, if there are those who need ministry, Father, that you would minister to them by your grace. Resurrected Lord Jesus, by your power. Holy Spirit, sir, by your presence here. You who apply the work of Christ, the resurrected Son, by the power and the will and the, the strength that the Father has ordained. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, We're so needy, we're so weak, we're so alone, Lord. Would you come and work in us this sense of belonging to you first, but then to one another. Build your church, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.